Abba Father, as always, you are faithful and show your kindness uh, all through the day. I, I, I say thank you. Ask for wisdom and grace as we work through the teaching that you give that's designed to bless and encourage. Would you please help us to have that kind of heart and that kind of spiritual vision discernment right now, please? Uh, Lord, I thank you for your love and bless your people in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Um, we're looking at the church of Thyatira, okay? And you can see where it's positioned just a little bit south of Pergamum and north of Sardis, okay? It's inland. Uh, geographically, it's really in kind of a bad spot in terms of the geography. There's no natural defenses, no exceptional water sources. It's out on a plain and there's a river nearby. The, the, the main thing about Thyatira is it's in the trade routes. There's just, think of it as a highway. So forth, you know, I-40 runs through there. Think of it that way. So you get some commercial business that really breeds life into this, this city. But besides that, it's extremely vulnerable and was plundered quite a bit with wars and one nation rises against another. And so it's really kind of a weak, vulnerable city noted for its trade guilds and manufacturing. Okay, there's another look at it, giving a little bigger picture of Thyatira, okay. Um, regarding uh, surviving ruins, very little. There's almost no significant archeological ruins that you can find there. The city, Akhisar, it's the name of the city over Thyatira, uh, so dominates the area you can't excavate. You can't destroy your, your city that is being used uh, to get to the one that's uh, buried. And so there's just almost nothing there. Just a few places. This is in all likelihood a remaining temple to uh, the local god, the guardian of the city, the embodiment of the Greek god Apollo and the embodiment of the god, the emperor, who is deified combined. And this is a temple most likely to that, that, that deity. Another shot of that area. And there's just some sediments and some layers that are still can be seen, but very, very little. Nothing like the glory of Ephesus or Pergamum, anything like that at all. So that's really about it. You're just kind of looking at it right now. All right, so what we do have um, about the city is uh, some coinage, okay? Uh, there's, it's interesting that the coins used uh, do reflect uh, currency and usage in the city of Thyatira, okay? And even going back uh, or forward as far as at 105, 129 AD, but even back in the second century BC, there were coins uniquely used in Thyatira and Lydia as far back as that. So. It was ruled by Pergamum for a while, so ruled by a, a, a foreign city. All right, all right, now, here's what I want us to do. Let's have an experiment. I want us to pretend that we live in Thyatira, all right? And we are very ancient persons, so somehow push your American sense of self aside. By the way, in your American sense of self, you really like being an individual. You pride yourself on individualism. Just you, and that's all that matters. John Wayne 
pull yourself up by your bootstraps, the spirit of Americana. I don't need anyone. I'm an island to myself. The American spirit, the pilgrim, okay? Push it all aside. That doesn't work anyway, okay? We're going to go back to the ancient Mediterranean person. You have to be a part of the tribe, okay? Maria's in the army, uh, Terry's Navy. What happens to a soldier or a sailor that doesn't want to be a part of things, that wants to isolate your grinning? What happens to him? They're ostracized to be very, very difficult. Why? Why? It, it just, uh, it's next to impossible. Can't work with them? Can't count on them? Is it a threat to unity? Is it a threat to security? Absolutely. Okay. What do you think, Maria? Yeah. Yeah. You isolate and you're wearing the uniform, but you're not wanting to be a part of the army or part of the Navy or something like that. You become a problematic person. And uh, the army, in today's, today's society, the glimpse that we get of ancient Mediterranean mindset is in the athletic arena and the military in modern culture. If you set that aside, our Americana takes over and we miss the first century completely. So, so if you're gonna be on, on, a, on an NFL football team, you're gonna be on the 49ers, and you get a bad attitude and you badmouth the coach and you badmouth the player and you don't like the uniform, think they're gonna let you walk onto the field to play a game in a, in a Pittsburgh Steelers uniform? They gonna allow that? No, that is against NFL league policy, if you're a, under contract to play for the 49ers, you can only wear that uniform. In fact, you can't even decorate or accessorize outside of NFL rules. You can't put a handkerchief around your neck or some bandana or something that is uniquely, not allowed to do that. You have to look and dress exactly as they say. Now we're getting at ancient Mediterranean people, their mindset. If you're a wise person, you comply. If you're a deviant person, you break away. We're the opposite. We celebrate breaking away. We celebrate the cutting of the umbilical cord. The other time you see that is in the military. You get somebody that goes rogue, and there's a problem. Not allowed to. Okay, am I making sense? All right, let's go back. First century. You've got to fit in, people. Don't celebrate isolation. That's America. Uh-uh. You have to integrate. That's how you survive. This is a very pagan city. All kinds of businesses, trade guilds, coppersmiths, bronze smith, dyeing. There's a dyeing company where you can get the madar root, or maybe if you're lucky, get some shellfish off the, the Aegean, and you extract the dye primarily from the madar root, and you make a purple dye. The famous purple garments that come out of Thyatira. Lydia was from here, by the way. Philippi, Lydia, okay? Got all kinds of businesses going on, right? And you gotta fit in, you gotta survive. And this is the scripture you have. How are you gonna fit in to the pagan culture? The local guardian god, Apollo, half Apollo, half sun god that shines down on you, half emperor. All kinds of pagan worship. By the way, some of the pagan, um, I'll use code language, moms and dads, some of the pagan rituals uh, lead to promiscuity. So that's going on in the temples. Okay. And you live there. This is what you get 
based on those two texts, how are you going to behave in that culture? <laughs> I know I'm surprising you guys with it. What do you think? This is what you get. How are you going to interpret that to make it in a very pagan city? What are you going to justify? What are you going to say is, is allowable and what is not allowed? You go to, the, you go to the, the temple of Apollo, right, the sun god, and you eat the pot roast, and you have a feast, because after all, you're a coppersmith, and that's a, it's the time of the year when all the coppersmiths and the guild, coppersmith guilds, goes to the Apollo temple, and they all have a special feast in honor of the guardian sun god Apollo, and they share a meal in his honor, and his blessings on the guild, and all the coppersmiths celebrate, and they raise their drinks to him, give a toast to the god, and they worship, and things might get a little rowdy at the end, but after all, you know the pot roast is just a pot roast, and there's no such thing as Apollo, and there's not really a demon inside the pot roast, so eat it. Go along, get along. Do you think you could justify that based on these texts? Kirby saying, yeah. Anybody disagree? What do you think? What if you realize that there were people in the first century that took Paul and, and misinterpreted him and bent it and twisted it and made conclusions, took it to its end, kind of the end point, that Paul would say, no, uh-uh, that, no, I don't approve of that at all. What I meant was this, but they grab it and go in a really unhealthy direction. Think you could do that off these texts? Yeah, I do too. Yeah. In fact, there's several things that Paul said that you can twist. Um, did, was Jesus a troublemaker? Can you twist his words? Oh, my goodness. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, you ready? It's going to be, it's going to be a, a challenge tonight, so kind of bear with me. Please remember, and it's so hard, learn to hear and see grace in this letter, in all the letters, okay? There you go. So, let me read it to you. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira, write, the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet are like burnished bronze, says this, I know your deeds. By the way, pay attention to the pronouns. That's a key thing. I know your deeds and your love and faith, 
and service and perseverance, and that your deeds of late are greater than at first. Wow, this church is making forward progress. But I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, and she teaches and leads my bondservants astray so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, and she does not want to repent of her immorality. Behold, I will throw her on a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent, pay attention to the pronouns, unless they repent of her deeds, and I will kill her children with pestilence. Man, that sounds like Exodus and the ten plagues against Egypt. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches the hearts and the, and the minds and the hearts, and in Hebrew, kidneys, the inward parts, and I will give to each one of you according to your deeds. But I say to you, shift in pronoun, but I say to you, the rest who are in Thyatira, who do not hold to this teaching, who have not known the deep things of Satan, that's scary, as they call them, remember the pronouns. They say they know the deep things of Satan. You don't know that. I place another burden on you. Nevertheless, what you have, hold fast to it. Hold fast until I come. He who overcomes, who is a Nike, a victor Christian, a victory Christian, and he who keeps, she who keeps my deeds until the end, to him, to her, I will give authority over the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of the potter are broken to pieces, as I also have received authority from my father, and I will give him or her the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Wow. By the way, this is one of the longest letters of the seven churches, and one that has some difficulties associated with it. So let's walk through some of this stuff. The Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire. First of all, this is the only time the phrase Son of God is mentioned in the entire book of Revelation. And it's very unique, all right? Here's why it's unique. From a Christian perspective, Jesus calls himself the Son of Man, the Son of God, comes right out of Daniel and other places. So if you're a Christian or even have a Jewish mindset, you get what that means. But what if we're not Americans? What if we're not Christians? We get away with our American Christian. What if you go back to Thyatira, very Roman, very pagan, very much Greek uh, pagan gods there, and we hear Son of God? Guess what it's going to hit, how it's going to hit their ears? Did you know that the emperor, when he was writing a decree or an edict, he would say, I am a son of God, the son of Augustus, who is a god, right? That was normal language for an emperor to describe himself as a son of God when he was writing a decree or formal political document. Rome, Thyatira uh, was a garrisoned Roman city, an outpost, out on a plain. You know, they put soldiers out there. And this is the only place in the book of Revelation where that language is used, the Son of God. So what do you think? Do you think it's uh, 
propaganda against the emperor? I do. That's exactly what I see. This is called, it's called a polemic. Polemic is a fancy word scholars use to say, we're trying to pick a fight. Bop, I'm going to punch you in the nose. Son of God, oh, Jesus is the real emperor. Uh-huh, okay, I see what we got here. Jesus is the real emperor. The, the Caesar is just under him, yeah. This is polemic language. This is, I'm going to pick a fight with Rome. It's propaganda. So if this thing gets out, we got problems, okay? Uh, he who has eyes like a flame of fire. Uh, of course, it's straight out of the book of Daniel from a Jewish perspective, but here we go again. What if you live in Thyatira and you don't think like a Jew, you think like a Roman, like a Greek? Who's the local guardian god? I, I told you many times. Apollo. Apollo. Sun god. You ever try to look at the sun? <laughs> How's that for a ball of fire? Okay. So if you're in Thyatira and you worship the guardian god and someone says the real emperor is Jesus and you look at him, it's like looking directly into the sun. His eyes are a flame of fire, and his feet are like burnished bronze. Dignity, splendor, power, authority. Okay, this is power language. Absolutely power language. And then, and look at this language. It's, it's really a beautiful praise to the church. I know your deeds. Love and faith. How's that for heart motive? Love and faith. And look at the fruit of love and faith. Service and perseverance. They're coupled like that. Love and faith can lead to service and perseverance. In fact, I, I would argue theologically that love and faith are the best motivators for service and perseverance. When you have a genuine love in your heart, it kind of protects you against burning out. If you don't have love in your heart and faith, you'll burn out. It's hard to endure. And, and that's why uh, if, if you're really thinking seriously about discipleship, you have to ask yourself, what's the best, the best motivation to be a disciple of Jesus, fear or love? Fear or love. What's that? I think so, too. Yeah. I think fear is not necessarily a sustainable motivation. What did John say in 1 John 4? Perfect love does, does what? Cast out fear. Yeah. I think the deepest, the healthiest motivation for long-term sustainable discipleship is love and faith. Okay, not fear and the fear of punishment will burn out. It's hard to sustain that. Okay, uh, your deeds are, are of later greater than that of the first, which is the opposite of the other churches, some other churches. So this church is really doing well. Forward progress. This is great. But here's the ouchie. Here's the ow. Ooh, this is a tough one, but I have this against you. You tolerate the woman Jezebel. Who is this gal? Well, if you're a Jew, what, what, is, what is evoked? What does it trigger? The Old Testament. The Old Testament, right? Ahab and Jezebel. What did they try to do to Israel? They killed all the prophets. Yep. Total abuse there, but what else? What was like the main heart motive? To turn Israel away from Yahweh. Okay? So real corrupting influence. All right, now, you ready to really kind of kind of, to, to intellectually wrestle here? Revelation is full of symbolic language, right? And it's really hard to know when is this symbolism or when do we take this literally. So here's some thoughts here. Let's look at this. 
how do you how do you deal with this? Would you say here's some options? And I'm not being fully thorough in this. She's just a symbolic figure. That's all Je Jezebel is, symbolic figure. Not a real person. Just just a symbol. Kind of like, you know, the ten-headed beast with all these horns and eyes is radical metaphorical symbolism that really depicts the brutality of Rome. That's all it is. There's no real monster. It's just Rome. Make sense? Okay. Or it's a male false teacher prophet. It's a male. Okay. So, Mackenzie, here's why I would say that. Okay. In 2 John chapter 1... It says to the elect lady and her children. Look at Second John. And so scholar goes, is this like a woman pastor at a church in Second John? And it says at the end of the letter, uh, you know, blessings to the elect lady and, and the other kids from the other churches all say hi, kind of a tag, right? So scholars go, is that a woman pastor? And some scholars believe it is. But most say, nope, that's not. This is the bride of Christ, hence female language. Children are just Christians, and it's not a woman pastor in one of John's churches. Okay, it's not. So some scholars say, that's exactly what's going on here. It's a male prophet, a male false teacher that's really bringing damage to this church in Thyatira. Okay? There are lots of scholars that say, uh-uh, she's the real deal. It is a female actual physical female who is a false teacher declaring herself to be a prophet, prophetess, possibly used the nickname of Jezebel, and probably is associated with this group of people known as the Nicolaitans. Okay? A lot of scholars think that's the case. Others say, or it's just the church collective, which is kind of like a symbolic figure. All right, what do you guys think? You all have PhDs. Jump in. What do you think, Rick? Putting you on the spot. Dr. Moore, what do you think? Yes, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> Very wise answer. Very astute to say. Either yes or Jesus, and you're, you're safe. Yeah, what do you think? I'll come down on number three. Number three, okay. Number three. Number three, Maria? Okay, yeah. Yeah. I do too, by the way, I do too. Um, now, if this, if, by the way, can you please hear uh, humility and conjecture in my voice, <laughs> please? How do we know that we know that we know that that's an actual female? Do we? You can't get under the microscope, you can't go back in the time machine and figure this thing out. But, if this is, if it is in fact an actual female, and I think it is, by the way, and she is claiming to be a prophetess in the tradition of the teaching of Nicholas, a part of this group that formed, then what's fascinating is we do have an example of a female pastoral leader in the New Testament. <laughs> Harding University may flip on its head if they heard me say that, right? Um, uh, Williams Baptist College, you know, uh, would say, well, I don't know about that. But if it's true, then that's really interesting that there is someone who is a female leading a church 
or watch the pronouns, allowed to lead a church. And it's not going well. And it's not going well not because she's a female. It's got nothing to do with her gender. It has everything to do with her belief system. Okay. 1 Corinthians 11, do women prophesy in church? You're not sure, are you? Do they? Are women allowed to prophesy in church based on 1 Corinthians 11? Galen? What do you think? <laughs> Maria says no. Are you referencing verse 5? And right on through the text, there's more. What do you think, Philip? What two things does Paul say a woman could do in church? Out loud, by the way. <laughs> First Corinthians 11. Struggle with it. What do you think? I'm getting the nod from Kirby. What are the two things a woman is allowed to do in church out loud? Pray and prophesy in church. If her hair is covered. So if you read the rest of 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14, Janice, what kind of priority is put on the gift of prophecy? Is it like the low-end gift, or is it like the, the top gift? It's the top gift. The low-end gift for Paul, when you watch what he does in 12, 13, 14, is tongues. Tongues is put on the bottom of the priority list, and prophecy is put on the top of the priority list. Paul says, I wish you all would speak in the gift of prophecy. I want you all to have that gift. Pursue prophecy. Don't get tripped up on tongues. I want you all to pursue prophecy. Does this make sense? So if we're going on Paul and church, the, Paul's view of the church, women do get to talk in church. They do get to speak out of a gift that's prophetic and speak words of truth and grace and authority. It's in the text, okay? So now that I've set you up for that, this isn't such a terrible leap that this woman, whoever she is, would do that. The real problem is what she's teaching. And if you pay attention to the pro pronouns, this is where it gets scary because there are people in the church who are letting her get away with it. Does that make sense? They're not dealing with it. Okay. Now, if she is a part of this group that took some of Paul's teachings and twisted it and it said, you know what, it's just a pot roast. There's no such thing as false gods. And Paul said, hey, I'm not telling you to get out of culture. I'm telling you, when it comes to judge, you judge the insiders, you don't judge the outsiders. You know, it's almost like he's saying, hey, fit in. Be a light in the world and fit in. And you can hear, you, know, you, can, you can hear the pressure you're in that what are you going to do? You're going to fit in, go along, get along, and then take your private beliefs home with you? Is that what's going on? Okay. By the way, here's some of the trade guilds 
clothiers. They made clothing. They're dyers. That very, very precious purple dye. Bakers, tanners, potters, wool merchants, slave traders, shoemakers, coppersmiths, bronzesmiths, and even athletes at the local gymnasium, gymnasia. The athletic guild and the Olympic Games, part of the games might be held there, an honor given to those in the athletic guild. Okay? If you're going to be a part of this to survive, guess what all the trade guilds did? They all had special gods they were assigned to worship that would bless their trade, okay? So if you're, if you're a good pottery person, if you're gonna be a part of the guild to make, make a living, you are a part of the practices associated with religion for that guild, okay? And to not be a part of that, there's a lot of pressure. And so it, what's fascinating is Jesus, the Lord Jesus is saying, don't. Compromise with the world. Don't give in and, and relegate me. Don't marginalize Jesus in your effort to try to get along. That's what this is about, okay? Now, I gave her time to repent. This is really harsh language, okay? So, so bear with it. Again, is, she, is Jesus condemning the church with the pronouns here? No, condemning her. Who are her children? If she's a literal woman, then who are her children? Who believe in what she's teaching. So you've got this church, and there's a small group in the church that are buying into this stuff. They did the same thing in the other churches. This is not the first time we've heard about the Nicolaitans. Okay? So this is viral. There's something going on here that's really dangerous. That you don't have to take your faith that seriously. You don't have to take religious convictions and morality that serious. And so there's some harsh language that she used. I'm giving her time to repent. She's not doing it. And I'm going to uh, afflict her with a disease. Now, everybody take your Bibles. Turn to or click to 1 Corinthians 11. I want you to see this. 1 Corinthians 11. Look at verse 27, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-seven. 27. Therefore, whoever eats the bread, this is about the Lord's Supper, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself. If he does not judge the body rightly, he doesn't judge the church and how the church gets along and how that relates to Jesus. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick and a number sleep or have died. But if we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. So what if, what if we understand judgment in the text of 1 Corinthians 11 surrounding the Lord's Supper as a way of saying, hey, this is about discipleship. You're going to get an illness and you're going to have a lot of time on the bed to think about this thing, okay? You ever do that? Does God ever put you on the backside to teach you to slow down and think, you know? Uh, you, you, you're worn out and exhausted for so long, your immunity system drops, a sinus infection sets in, 
and you're on your backside for three or four days to think about what it means to rest in the Lord, you know. He can do that, right? The heart is a heart of discipleship and love. But we've got, we've got influence in this church that is so toxic, that is so dangerous. Jesus is trying to protect his church from this very, very toxic, very, very uh, dangerous teaching. And he wants them to repent. It's important that you get that. But her children will be judged. This is, this is language similar to that of Egypt. This is, not, this is not child abuse. We're not talking about little children. We're talking about adults. What we're talking about, okay. Who are willfully rejecting Jesus Christ as the Son of God. This is not about little children, okay. And then all the churches will know. And this idea of the Lord searching the hearts... Uh, Matthew chapter 9, Matthew chapter 24 references Jesus knowing their hearts, knowing the intent of their heart. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4, the word of God, the Lord is like a sharp two-edged sword and it can actually get down to a man's motives and separate like bone and marrow, even knowing the thoughts, intentions, and motives of the heart. Okay? Um, he knows us. You ready for, can we just do some discipleship for a minute? Anybody here try to hide things from God? Don't answer. <laughs> you have a friend who tries to hide things from God, okay? You know, if you're born again, <laughs> yeah, I'm asking for a friend, okay? So I have this friend, and uh, you know, if they're born again, you know, it's okay that Jesus searches our hearts and minds, isn't it? He's not mean. There's a love that's unfailing. There's a love that wants to draw out of you love and faith and, and, and purity, okay? Um, I say to you, uh, the, the rest were in that. Again, he just talked about a different group of people, all right? You don't hold to that teaching. Who have not known the deep things of Satan. Let's park there for a bit. That's kind of heavy duty. What are the deep things of Satan? Anybody ever study this or dig in at all? I know it's kind of spooky. What do you think? The deep things of Satan. And why would a Christian even want to know that? Know the enemy. Know the enemy? Kind of a military strategy? Okay, good. Anybody else? David, you, you're Navy? You there? Okay, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all, about, it's all about intel, right? Intel on the ground, okay. Anybody else on what this idea of the deep things of Satan? Back, back then, mystery cults were very popular. Ooh, very good. Kind of, you know, finer gods like ISIS or mm -hmm. something along those lines. Yeah. And there would be a, like a secret passcode mm -hmm. levels that you would ascend to and mm -hmm. get a little bit of information or supposed information at the start, yeah. and you would have to jump through hoops. Yeah. To ascend to the next level, <laughs> yes. receive the next yeah. amount sure. of knowledge. Special knowledge, yeah. yeah. Exactly. It's good, very good. You're talking about the Gnostic mystery religions. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Anybody else on what this is about? Anybody dig in? Um, let's start with the obvious. And, and, and this, again, this may be a bit of a jump for you. This is not Satan worship, okay? 
it, it, it's, it's not Satan worship. This is not necromancy, which is the worshiping of the dead. It, it's not that. I kind of think it is a little bit that, oh my goodness, the deep things of Satan. <gasps> Jezebel's having seances in church. You know, No, actually what's happening is Jesus is being sarcastic. He's mocking. Here's what's actually going on. All right. Uh, Kirby, you're on to it. The, this lady, whoever she is, and those that followed the teachings of Nicholas that got twisted and became Gnosticism, okay, they began to push the idea that you can hold on to your faith and have a good faith and you can plummet. They actually taught this. You can plummet the depths of a rebellious life and come out victorious. It's code, he's actually mocking. It's not the deep things of Satan, it's the deep things of God. That's what it means. Jezebel and her followers think they know the deep things of God. They don't. You don't know the deep things of God at all. What they, as they call them, there's the sarcasm. What, what they think is real spiritual insight, Kirby, like we get the mystery to the deep things of God. Jesus says, no, you're playing into the enemy. It's, you're really toying with the deep things of Satan, not God. In other words, Jezebel, you're not as spiritual as you think you are. You're way off course. Does that make sense? Yeah. So he's mocking the, these false teachers who think they're being spiritual when they're actually doing the opposite is what's happening, okay? Place another burden on you. He praises them, hold fast. And then he who overcomes uh, and he who keeps my deeds until the end, to him I will give authority. Quick comment, he who keeps my deeds, that's really beautiful language. Um, remember, if you, if you go back to the first century mindset on education and discipleship, uh, when someone is a student of a philosopher, or a student of a rabbi, the way you've proven that you've mastered their teaching is what? Go for the obvious. It proves you've mastered the content. You can teach it back. You say the kinds of things that they would say, and you do the kinds of things that they would do. You talk like and you act like your professor. All right? This is ancient Mediterranean education. He overcomes, he who keeps my deeds, who do the kinds of things that Jesus would do. Until the end, I give you authority over the nations. This is power language. Now, they were ruled by Pergamum, being ruled out of Rome. Lots of power is being placed over the people in this garrisoned outpost, this little kind of inconsequential city outside of the trade guilds and manufacturing that came out of that. They were kind of, a, kind of just a not too cool city. Well, lots of people having authority over them, all right? So Jesus is using language saying, hey, look, you think it's hard to live in Thyatira? Listen, you follow me. You are in heaven. You are going to rule. It's going to be amazing. This is power language that literally is a polemic against Rome, okay? It's a polemic against Rome. Does it make sense? Propaganda. It's Christian Propaganda designed to persuade and encourage Christians. And, but if a, if a Roman got a hold of this, there'd be trouble. 
Does that make sense? Okay. You are the gifted body of Christ. How can we pull this into our world today so that what is said in Revelation comes true? Blessed is the person that reads this book or hears it. Where's the blessing in this letter to the church at that time? What would you say? Yeah, those who who are getting it wrong, yeah. Yeah, there's patience here. There's grace here. Yeah. What else? Is that a Navy term? You betcha. <laughs> and, uh, it, if you have believed, don't quit. Don't quit. Hold fast to that. Yeah. Be not afraid. Yeah. The promises will be kept. Mm, you've spoken wise, sailor. That's good. Don't quit. Yeah. Um, no one raise your hands. Anybody here think about quitting? <laughs> you get tired sometimes, you know. Uh, maybe you feel a little lonely, like you're the only one holding on to a belief or core conviction. You feel isolated. feel very lonely. You ever think about just go along to get along? Blend in. Blend in. It's no big deal. God's not going to fall off his throne, you know, and say, hey, Gabe, can you help pick me up? Uh, no, that's not going to happen. He's God. He's almighty God. We're not that powerful. We can't knock him off our throne with our doubts. But anybody here struggle? Yeah, I do. I can get worn, worn out sometimes. Sure. What about this one? I will give him the morning star. Beautiful language. Daniel uh, talks about the star. But if you lived in Thyatira, and there's a garrison town, there's Roman soldiers, they have standards. You know what standards are? What's that? Big flags. flags. Guess what's on those big flags? Venus in the zodiac. And it's interesting that Venus is associated with the morning star that can be seen at dawn. Another polemic. Hey, I know you guys. These pagans are looking to the sky to worship false gods. You hang on. You hold fast. You stay with me. I'm going to give you the morning star as a gift. Hang on. Hang on. Be encouraged. Something beautiful and powerful and totally life-changing is coming Hold on, don't give in, and do not listen to Jezebel. Don't listen to her and her followers. Okay? Anybody else on why this matters? Yes. So, yeah. So it was easier to yeah. Yes. 
By the way, is there something unique about what you're seeing? As far as my, where I get my authority? What's unique here? What's unique about it? I have full copies of all four Gospels. I have full copies with tremendous accuracy in Greek manuscripts of all of uh, available Pauline documents. I've got a letter from the brother of Jesus. I've got documents from Peter, the guy that walked on water. Look what I have. Look at the luxury of having this available. All right, now go back to the first century. You're in this outpost town. What do you have? What's your Bible? What you hear. What you hear. That's it. That's it. Maybe. A parchment would come through. Somebody would bring a parchment. Maybe Timothy is going to be coming through on I-40, making that loop. And, or one of Paul's friends is going to be on that loop, and they're going to bring a parchment. Can you imagine church that night? And you get to hear someone who can read well, read the whole letter. Wow. But that's all you get. You have to listen and remember with your ears you don't remember with your eyes, you remember with your ears. So what if you don't have this? Well, I need to check out what you just said. Let me look in the concordance. Uh-huh. Well, it says here that so-and-so. What if you can't do that? And what if you heard that the apostles, Paul said something about, it's just pot roast? Did Paul say something? Yeah, that's what I heard Paul said. Well, Timothy said something about it. You know? Do you see how vulnerable that is? The, the risk that's taken? The, 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 the form is when you don't have all these documents in your own language available. Wow. How would it be easy to get off track? Yeah. So, okay, anybody else? No, I think they struggled with it. Philip, they really did, and that's why teachers were so important. People who could read <laughs> were so important, because if you could get a parchment through and you were, you were a good reader, boy, you had a full-time job just going from house to house reading, trying to get that information out. It's a real chore. Yeah. In fact, if, if you kind of see it through those lenses, Many of Paul's letters are efforts to correct all the misunderstandings. That's why they were written. So it's hard. It was hard to keep up with it. Yeah. Yeah. Anybody else on why this matters? Can I remind you of something? The Jesus of Matthew and Mark and Luke and John is the same Jesus right here, okay? Can you think of a single instance in which he was a brute, he was abusive, 
he was some crazy man hurting innocent, vulnerable people? No. No. That's the same Jesus. It's not like it's this Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde kind of thing. And when you get to Revelation, oh, Jesus gets his mini pants on and you just can't hardly mess with him. You know, he's a nice guy in the Gospels, but whoo, by the time Revelation, I'm scared of that guy. No, it's the same Jesus, okay? The same Savior who loved us to the point that he was willing to die for us. And he's trying to say, hang on, hang on, stay the course. Can I pray for you? Abba, Father, I love you, and I thank you for the way you show grace and mercy and how faithful you are to us. Help us to love you, to speak your words, do your deeds, to hold fast. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Um.